What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack for your career, well, that sucks for you, dog, because they make, obviously, the most comfortable, the most well-built, and the best damn fire pack in existence, period, end of subject. But in addition to that, they make a ton of other awesome load-bearing essentials. Like what? Well, I'm looking at two particular items right now. I'm looking at the Urban Assault 21 and the three-way briefcase, both in wildfire black. Now, why do I bring up these? Well, that's uh, because a portion of the sales from these two packs go back to the Backbone series. <gasps> oh, I'm sure you're familiar with the Backbone series. I've been touting it for about a year and a half now, maybe a year. I don't know. Anyways, Backbone series is one of those awesome projects that's telling the story of Wildland Fire. Oh yeah, it's badass. And check this out. They're actually giving back to the community because if you go over to www.mysteryranch.com and submit your story and it's selected, well, boom, you just won yourself a thousand dollar Mystery Ranch Backbone Scholarship. Yeah. So the opportunity is yours. And uh, yeah, if you have a compelling story and you uh, can formulate a, a sentence, <laughs> not write your story in crayon, so to speak, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series. There you can submit your story. And if you're selected, once again, that's a $1,000 scholarship up for grabs. So go over there, check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that's going to be none other than Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, where a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. And if you happen to want to get your hands on some other merch, well, they have a plethora of all of the stuff to help rep that Wildland Firefighter lifestyle, like a full line of apparel and all of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. And check this out. If you go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com, you can check out a little bit of my merch as well. So if you're looking for one of those Fire Fiend t-shirts or one of those Band of Brothers t-shirts, well, you can get it all over there at www.hotshotbrewing.com. Go check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast would also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement. Oh, yeah. It is the finest in poo-bearing propaganda. I don't know about y'all out there, but when someone poops in the black or takes a dump on the pullout on the side of the road and doesn't bury it, well, they're just doing the entire world an injustice. And you know what? I mean, it might be too, uh, due to lack of education. A lot of people don't get outdoors that much and they don't know how to take a dump in the woods properly. Well, that's why the ass movement is here for us so we can Spread the good word about bearing your turds with the finest poo-bearing propaganda. Go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement where you can actually get 10% off your entire order by using the code anchorpointass10. Yeah. So if you want to uh, educate some folks or spread the good word about bearing your turds, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by our homies over at the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience, which is kind of a, one of those things where uh, it's kind of misleading because it is not just relegated to the United States anymore. It is a global 
affair. And it's awesome. What it is, is basically a storytelling platform about wildland firefighting dating all the way back to the 1940s. There's hundreds of these stories, not only just from the United States and your peers in the field over here, but all over the world. We're talking about Canada, Australia, South Africa. It's freaking awesome. So if you want a little trip down memory lane or want to hear the story of wildland fire dating all the way back to the 1940s, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. And check this out. They are opening up the Smoky Generation grants again. Ooh, so if you have a compelling story and you want to, you have an awesome project that you want to work on, uh, if you're telling a story of wildland fire, it doesn't matter if you're a writer, photographer, blogger, cinematographer, anybody who's telling a story of wildland fire, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out because an opportunity to get one of these grants is on the table for you. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Hope everybody is doing well, and I hope everybody is getting excited and ramping up their PT schedule for the start of the new fire season, which is somehow already started in some areas. Well, at least, I, I don't know. It's it's weird. California is its own beast. But you got that whole thing going in uh, Texas and Oklahoma as well. Hmm. Weird. Anyways, hope everybody's ready for it. But today on the show, we are going to talk about leaving federal service. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there is a life outside of federal service. I know a lot of people are uh, probably going to think about this episode being a total dump or slight against Forest Service or BLM or any federal service. And it's not. I'm all I'm all we're trying to say here is, you know, no one's going to look out for you except for you. So hopefully you have the right people in your corner and hopefully you have a uh, good fair amount of training underneath your belt to move on if you so choose to. But no one's going to make that decision besides you. No one's going to do it for you. And you know what? People are going to talk crap about it. But if you do decide if that is the best option for you to leave federal service, well, you might want to take a listen to this episode. Uh, I know I'm one of those people that left federal service, and so is my homie, who is a former hell attacker like myself. So with that being said, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Monica Tanner. Welcome to The Anchor Point. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how many times I have to throw this disclaimer in there, but I am not, absolutely not, encouraging you to leave federal service. However, if you're considering it, this episode is probably going to be for you because there is a life outside of federal service. But there's also a lot of opportunity within the federal service. So you need to weigh uh, your pros and cons there and make the best decision for yourself. All 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the episode, I've got one of my good friends, actually. Uh, we fought a little bit of fire together uh, on the, our Hell Attack days, Miss Monica Tanner. What's up, homie? How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Yeah? What's new? Uh, in town, uh, taking some classes, and I thought I'd hit up an old friend and uh, maybe have a little bit of discussion. Yeah. Well, welcome to the uh, studio, if you will. It's really not great you only see like a small little portion of it on the camera so it's astoundingly professional i feel very out of place it's just this corner of the room though that's like <laughs> the only spot it's all like linger that resume is a disaster but anyways tell us about yourself where'd you uh where'd you come from where do you do i mean i know this obviously we're homies um but how'd you get it started into fire lay it on us um i I'm one of the people that started fire really, really late. I didn't start in wildland fire until I was 35 years old. Mm -hmm. Didn't know it was a thing. Never heard of it before. Um, just happened to be like on vacation in London and had a drunk conversation in a pub with somebody. And they said, if you could do anything, regardless of pay or education, what would you do? And I was just drunk enough that I thought about it a little too long. And I was like, you know what? I'd work for the forest service. Oh shit. I get paid to hike and camp. So when I got back home, I was like, well, what the heck? I'll give it a shot. So I don't know how I found USA Jobs. Even more amazing, I don't know how I navigated USA Jobs because I didn't even know what GS levels were. Oh, shit. So I'm just looking around on there. I'm like, I don't know, trails, crews, and what's this fire? That looks cool. So I accidentally got a job on an engine in Idaho. Um, and I was there for for two years. And then I ended up going to Hell Attack, Bridgeport Hell Attack, uh, in my opinion, one of the best crews that's ever existed. Represent. Um, and I was there for three years with Eric Newell. I uh, had a great time, but because I started when I was 35. TikTok. That 37 is coming up fast. Yeah. So I ran into that wall and then um, I always heard, you know, like these whispers, like, like the Underground Railroad, like there's a way. Yeah. Everybody's like, it's like the force or like something. I don't know. Like everybody's got like some voodoo magic that they spread out there into the world. Half of it's conjecture, half of it's bullshit. You yeah. Know, it's, like with, with chicken blood and writing the right Congress person, you can get a perm after 37. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, but then, um, like they did the direct hiring authority and I was like, nope, that's not going to be a thing. So I ended up going to County fire. I, uh, uh, Matt Peterson had come out with us on a roll. And at the time he was the uh, forest plant, the fire planner for Humboldt Toyabi. And then he moved to Elko County fire and he contacted me like, Hey, come over here. I got a job for you. And I ended up going over and left <gasps> fed. Wait, wait, hold up, hold up service. You left federal service. Yeah. I know. I'm the only one that's ever done it. It's, it's not happening. Oh my God. Droves. But yeah, I did. You left. Federal oh, geez. I wonder how many other people have done that. But there's a point to this, right? So like the whole fear and the, I don't know, I, I can't really put my finger on it because like when I decided to make that leap from federal service, mm -hmm. I was scared shitless. I don't know what your thoughts were, but. Well, initially, yeah, no, because it's a big umbrella to step out from under, you yeah. know, uh, there's a certain kind of comfort, I guess, in your mind of being a federal employee um, and you're part of, you know, a really large structured organization and you feel good about it. And like all of wildland, you feel a sense of purpose and you're really proud to be there and you feel loyalty. Um, and I was really scared about it, but it was, it was my, my soup, um, on my helitech crew at the time that told me, no, this is a good move for you. You should do this. This is kind of the direction that fire is going to go. You should do this. Yeah. 
So I did it and I was really nervous about it, but it turned out to be a really good move for me in my circumstance. Yeah. And that's the whole thing too. It's like, I'm not trying to advocate for stepping out of your job, but, or the federal service. I mean, it could be completely fine for some people, but not all walks of life. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people out there, especially these days. I mean, Reorganization just wrote that great Exodus article. I don't know if you got a chance to read that. No, I haven't yet. Holy crap. It's a great article. And in fact, we, I, I tried to record with her <laughs> about her article that she wrote and it just turned into a junk show. So I had to scrap the episode. <laughs> My fault, not hers, obviously. Uh, anyways, she was uh, kind of, I guess, not necessarily exposing, just telling the ugly truth, though, the inconvenient truth that people are leaving federal service in droves. I'm not advocating for one way or the other. You got to do what's right for you at the end of the day, but our numbers are dwindling. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to, I guess if you're going to hold on to that federal service career, hold on to it. But I understand why people are leaving. Well, and it's also good for the people that are staying. The people that are leaving are opening up avenues for people that stay to move up. You know, it's freeing up spots for them. True. And depending on, you know, your situation and what you're going for, it may or may not be the right thing for you. Um, for me, I was like, I could be there as a GS4 and I could continue to be a GS4 without benefits, without retirement. And I could get more and more responsibility. I could gain more and more, you know, uh, you know, calls and shit. Yeah. On my crew, but I was never going to have, and for me, you know, the retirement, the benefits and stuff like that, that's what I wanted. Yeah, and huge. I wanted to be year round. Now, if you ask me that now, having like not even a one month layoff period, I do kind of miss my off season, but. I think the 18 and eight is like perfect. It's neither here nor there. I keep reminding myself, I'm like, you wanted this, you wanted this, but yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a, a something we should probably preface this episode with is, you know, we're not trying to be adversarial towards federal service by any means because no. it's a wonderful job. It's the best fucking job I've ever had. To be honest, I, I do think it was one of the coolest experiences I ever got. Mm-hmm. It was one of the like happiest, best times of my life. But to where I wanted to go, continuing on from that, I I personally couldn't do in federal service, mostly just because of my age. Yeah. Um. There's a couple other things that I, you know, I can see why it would be right for some people. If you have a family, you know, things like that, you know, you might not want to be gone for 21 days at a time, you know, on for 21 days, R and R in place for two, 21 more days, you know, it got old after a while, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I definitely am not knocking it in, in a lot of ways. I miss it a lot. Oh yeah. I miss it every day. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's like I said, the best job I ever had. And like a lot of the things too, that you're talking about there is like the, not necessarily the loyalty to like the mission, the agency. Well, the mission, yes, of course. You, mm-hmm. You're providing a great service to the American public, sometimes international public. Uh, you are a civil servant. You have a purpose greater than yourself. I think the loyalty aspect, that component really lies within the crews. Because once you find a good crew like Eric's, mm-hmm. you tend to want to just stick there. And it's hard to move up, especially if there's people like above you that are fighting for their rise up the chain as well. It's hard. And on a good crew, you don't have a lot of movement. So there isn't a lot of opportunity for growth. It's like a catch 22. It's a great crew. I would have stayed there forever if I could have, but you know, fortunately he was a good enough leader that he did encourage me to take the step that was best for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has been interesting though. A couple of times I've noticed since I've left, like, you know, when you're at classes or conferences or things like that and you, 
interact with other firefighters yeah. and you know, you're in your blue Nomex and they're in their green. There's just that little bit of separation and they think, you know, I don't, I don't know where they think that we came from, but like, you know, we all came from federal service. That's where we came from. That's where the vast majority. Yeah. doesn't matter if you're structure, state, county. I mean, a lot of these folks that have jumped ship from federal service over to something like you're in now, mm -hmm. the county or the state or municipal, whatever, you're still putting foot in the black at the end of the day, but there's still that like, I don't know if it's envy. I don't know if it's pride. I don't know what it is, but there's always that age old battle just as old as Cal Fire versus the Forest Service. And I think it's good. I think everybody should think that the agency they're in is the best. Yeah. You know, it's great. But it is it is interesting to to be on the other side of it now and see kind of the little separations that exist there that I probably didn't notice before. Yeah. Kind of makes you kind of uh, look back and question like, holy shit, was I acting like this to people outside of the feds when I was in the feds? Probably. I mean, we're all guilty of it. I mean, it just, it is what it is. There's always going to be that, Hey, my, my crew, my, my federal brethren over here, we're the shit. Who the hell are you? You know? Well, and it, you know, it's a big organized structure and a lot of the smaller ones, you know, they, they may not have that organization yet, but they're getting there. There are a lot of them are new programs. Mm -hmm. So it is hard to kind of cut them a little bit of that slack of, you know, th their overhead may have had some fire experience, but they've probably hired a lot of new people and they're getting there and it's going to take three or four years for them to probably catch up. Hit their strides, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. You know, to, to the level that a lot of people are used to working with, but they're getting, they're getting there. Yeah. Well, then the mission is completely different. It's like if you're, uh, say with Reno fire, your mission is completely different than a fed hotshot crew or a fed engine, even mm -hmm. completely different. Well, yeah, as opposed, like, as, as far as like our mission is a lot more in Elko County. Yeah. Like that's our primary response zone, but like we do go out on rolls just like everybody else and things like that. Um, portal to portal, which is nice. Thank, uh -oh. you. Thank you very much. She said the P word <laughs> <laughs> portal to portal. I mean, that's another point of contention, I guess too, is like the benefits. I mean, if you look at a lot of these fed agencies, shit, even contracting agencies, um, the benefits package that they're paying and they're providing to the employee more often than not pales in comparison to the municipal county structure, whatever it does. Even shit, sometimes even military. No brag, just fact, just, just so people out there know, like just switching over this year, I'm making twice as much as I made before. And that's the thing that needs to change. And there's, you know, we have this, and that's another thing too. I'm not trying to be adversarial or anything like that, but that's why organizations like grassroots exist because we need equity or else we're going to continue to have this uh, employment attrition, just like Bree was talking about. Yeah. Some places it's like 75% turnover and no applications or just like maybe backfilling 25% of those 75 people that left. That's insane. Well, you know, you'll meet people and they'll be like, oh, you're a firefighter. You must make pretty good money. You're like, no, it's wildland. I don't make any money at all. People yeah. at Starbucks make more money than I do. And they're like, well, why it's do you fact. do it? It's love. It's the passion. I, I, cause I don't want to do anything else, but yeah, I mean, 
I, you know, you feel like a sellout, but you're like, you know what? This I like county to eat. retirement, seventy percent of my three highest years, pretty good. Pretty excited about that. Yeah, but also, I think that they might be able to fill their jobs a little bit more if they had a slightly easier um, application process. Yeah, there needs to be a lot of reforms in USA Jobs. Just getting people's feet in the door. I mean, that's hard. I mean, now you even said it yourself when you first came back from Europe, like. You had no idea what a GS level is. You had no idea how to navigate USA jobs. I was applying for like GS7 jobs on, on Repel Cruise because I didn't know what they were. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, I mean, I, I got a job on an accident, like purely on accident. But like even since then, when I've tried to help people get through USA jobs and apply, like if they just don't hit like one right button, yeah, it kicks them out. Like it's, it's, it's pretty hard to get one of those jobs. I was like, you know, if you can't fill your jobs... Well, might have a problem. Yeah. Maybe don't don't make it like the secret door in Alice in Wonderland that you have to. Yeah, there's definitely some, uh, I guess, ease of use hurdles just from the get go. And I don't know if that's ever going to change because that's a, a standardized system across the entire government. Right. That doesn't matter if you're going for like an IT professional job with the Department of Defense or wildland firefighter with the Bureau of Land Management. It's all the same. That's true. And it's really hard to tailor something to a specific audience when it is meant for so many different things. Oh, yeah. But to clean that process up, I I couldn't even begin to tell you how to do that. It's just too big of a machine. And that's the problem that I was running into and in that like. I wanted to be full time. Mm -hmm. The opportunity didn't exist for people over 37 or it kind of did, but then it kind of didn't, you know, and there's no way to really bring it to the attention of the agency. Like, Hey, you know, there's this, there's this weird discrepancy for these people who really, really love working for you, but they're not able to, to move ahead in their careers because of this one strange rule, because it's such a large organization, you know, and that one rule applies, you know, to five or six special situations and they can't change it. So moving to a smaller pool, that problem doesn't exist for me. Yeah. You know, and it's also been nice because I kind of was held back for a while because of the, the age restriction moving over and then being, you know, the person that they hired and out of, and there's only a, a few that they've hired. So they're investing in their employees. You know, they want to give you all the classes they can. They want to give you all the opportunities they can and all these things that you have kind of wished that you could get for a long time. You have, you know, so many of them that, you don't even have time to do all, you know, do everything. Like I've been at class after class all off season. I haven't even seen my crew for a couple of weeks, you know, <laughs> just been gone. Yeah. Taking, like, soaking it in education. -wise. I was there long enough to hire, hire a, a new round of people. And then I haven't even seen these poor people for like three weeks. So. Oh, wow. But that's the thing though, is like uh, moving from this big giant humongous turning gear of bureaucracy, which is at the end of the day, what it is. You can only do so much. There's going to be a lot of rules and those rules are in place with the Fed side to prevent like things like nepotism or fast tracking or any of this thing that can get your ass in a, in a pinch, basically. With something that's smaller and more agile, like your department, the way I see it outside looking in is you have a lot more ability to pivot and then you can focus all that time on training. So... You can concentrate on, okay, firefighter butler or something like that wants his, uh, his IC5. Well, 
yeah, you have the opportunity to do that. Lightning busts are a dime a dozen here out in the West. Yeah. So, I mean, but you're in a small organization where you don't have to like crawl and fight tooth and nail to get those quals. No, it's been really, really nice. Yeah. Because especially like, you know how Elko County is, you fought in fire there before. Aside from last season when there was almost nothing throughout the gate, Great right. Basin, you know, they can get like 32 starts in one day if lightning comes through there. Oh, easy. You know, you're just dropping one person off on every fire. So for our new people that are coming in that want to get their IC5s, you know, if you focus on them, you can get them, you know, pretty trained up, you know, in the course of a season, which is pretty nice. Oh, yeah. Then you're not fighting other agencies or not other agencies per se, but you're not fighting other resources that are around you. You're not paying the fairness circle, I guess. You are to a degree, but it's still smaller. A little, but like most of them are all in our same area and we do know each like NDF engines are there mm-hmm. and we know them pretty well. We cross train with them a little bit and we cooperate pretty well. We went out on a, we went to Caldor with them last season. Strike team assignment. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. So there's, there's a, a little bit of like a, a familial bond with the other state aid, you know, agencies and stuff like that around there because Elko being what it is, yeah, you know, everybody, everybody knows each other. Yeah. And well, everybody knows each other and then fire in general. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're fed or anybody who steps foot in the black, let's just, let's blanket that out there. It's a small, small community to begin with. Yeah. And no matter what color pants you're wearing or where you're from, like when you're fighting fire together, if you're doing it, you know. If, if you feel like somebody has your back, then you bond with that person. Oh, 100%. It's a like trench warfare bonding moment. It's, 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 it's different. I mean, it's unexplainable, but that's like the only thing that a lot of therapists that I've talked to, that's what they compare it to is that like battle camaraderie or I don't, I forget what Shannon was calling it, but uh, anyways, combat brotherhood. I don't know what the hell she was. I can't remember what she talked, she was talking about, but there's something unique about that feeling and that's where that loyalty trap lies as well. It's a trauma bond. It's like a dysfunctional it's, relationship. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, that's what it is at the end of the day. It's a trauma yeah. bond, right? Now, is that reflected across the entire fire community? Absolutely. We're doing the same thing, right? It doesn't matter what pants you're wearing, yeah. blue, green, whatever. We're all experiencing the same thing. And I think that we need to check our egos a little bit. And realize that we're all in this for the same end goal. And to be honest, I don't even think that most people realize that that distance exists there. I certainly wouldn't have before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is kind of a unique situation now where I think it's going to start being dissipated quite a bit more because so many people are leaving fed service over these type of jobs. And you're going to run into people that you know, Oh yeah, you know, wearing a different color pants. You know, it's going to be more and more common because... Those are the jobs that are available. You know, those are the jobs that are paying. Like once you have two or three kids, you know, sometimes you got to make the practical decision. And I totally understand that. I mean, I made my own decision based off of those circumstances, those very same circumstances. Yes, exactly. But yeah, I mean, you can do it in the federal service, but it's, it's hard, you know, um, But then again, there's a lot of benefits with federal service that you don't necessarily get with the other side. Yes. The other color pants, if you will. Well, and that's totally true. And I, and to a certain degree, I've missed that. And I've tried to figure out how to like take the best thing because my co-captain, she's from the BLM. Mm -hmm. We have a couple people from NDF and we've been trying to take the best things from each agency and incorporate 
integrate them into our SOPs. Like, okay, what did, what did we love about the forest service? What did you love about BLM? What did you love about NDF and kind of crystallize all those things into one standard operating procedure for our crew? Mm -hmm. You know, what didn't work? What was stupid? You know, what did you love? What worked great and kind of incorporate all those things. But the established culture even when you get new hires and having them come in and they automatically assimilate to the established culture of the agency is kind of a priceless thing, you know, and it takes a while to establish that and to get oh, yeah. people, you know, that buy-in and, um, and the, the subconscious nuance of that in our crew. And that's what we're kind of trying to establish. And it is one of those things that exists in federal, uh, fire service that, um, makes you really feel like you're a part of something, you yeah. know, that has a history that has some depth. Oh yeah. It's got a rich history. I yeah. mean, dating all the way back, you know, 1910. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive. Like the hitch history that the forest service or these federal agencies have and that, that brand, if you will, is already established. You walk into, like you said, you're walking into that career or that job knowing that you're part of something greater. Mm -hmm. And if you don't realize that within the first few minutes that you walk into that door, then you probably will realize it pretty damn quick. Yeah. So yeah, the whole loyalty thing, the, uh, I guess the, the higher sense of purpose of what you do, that's a hard thing to establish, especially if you're forming a new crew, it takes a while to build a reputation. It does. Yeah. You know, and it's going to take some time, but it, it's a fun challenge. That's what's kind of neat. Like just getting in on anything at the ground level. You know, and saying like, I have the opportunity to pick the people that work for me. I have the opportunity to, you know, write the training and the PT schedule and all this stuff. And like, really, whatever problem exists here, it's literally my fault because this, like, this guy's the limit. I'm, I'm forming this, and so it's pretty cool. Like, you never get to do that. So just to to be hands on in all of those things is pretty, pretty special. But. Um, I don't know that that's always available for everywhere. Like this is one of the the crews that's sponsored by the the power companies. Mm -hmm. So during the fire season, we're just free to be a regular wildland fire crew. And then during the off season, we mostly put in like fuel breaks and things like that. And we have winter work all year long. Um, and you don't have to fight for it either. No. I, I mean, that was the crazy thing. We hired first year firefighters and they weren't aware that they weren't seasonal. Some of them that they're, oh, really? they're they were hired with no experience as full time. When does firefighters? Yeah, that never happens. In the I know. And I'm just looking at it. I'm like, <laughs> you have no idea how lucky you have it. Do you know how hard I had to fight for this? And you got it your first year. I'm happy for you. Yeah. But I hope you appreciate it. I mean, that's another fringe benefit of the feds though, is like that seasonality. I mean, especially if you're a young going to school person, or you just like to be a ski bum during the winter. That's a huge fringe benefit of having that time off, especially if you have something lined up that'll provide an income during the winter. Yeah. Now the insurance and the retirement thing. It's mm, fine. Well, even if you're a perm though, I mean, it's you don't pay into nice. retirement when you're laid off. If you're a 13, 13 or an 18 and eight. There's, there's a, a very real small part of me that misses off season uh, layoff. But uh -huh. Oh yeah. I, I have there. a theory that everybody in wildland fire is either a hunter, a skier or a traveler. Now yeah. you could break that down into a couple different variations. You've got the snowboarders of course, but they would fall into the skier category, but the, you've got the people that go to like Bali for yoga retreats. You've got the people who are, you know, like chasing the endless winter on skis. And then you've got the people who are shed hunting and 
pretty much anybody in wildland will fall into one of those three categories. And I defy you to say otherwise. Yeah. I know a lot of people out of uh, central Nevada that go over to Thailand for six months out of the year and they just go and do Muay Thai camps. That's all they do. It's, it's wild, man. I guess I would fit under the traveler mm-hmm. category, but you have a lot of opportunity to do rad shit outside of fire. I mean, you work your, your ass off and in I, the summertime. Yeah. And I think you do need that time, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of uh, conversation about people going on unemployment on the off season. I'm like, you know, you kind of earned it. You did. A and also bit. like, you can't go that hard sometimes all year round. You kind of need that time to go decompress for a while and then you head back in and, and hit it pretty hard. And that's another drawback of that seasonality, right? You're working 1,200 hours of overtime on top of your regular yeah. 80-hour pay periods or 40-hour work weeks, right? You're working upwards of, what is that, a year. Yeah, you're working not more. one year and six months. Sometimes even less. But man, those tax returns are sweet. <laughs> they can be. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of those things. So it's like if you decide to go over to Thailand and you've saved that money, because a lot of these Do people, it. I mean, we, we're a minimalist, don't need a lot kind of culture, I guess. Yeah. So to save that money because you live frugally and to go blow it all during the winter in Vietnam or Mexico or on the ski hill or wherever... You have that opportunity and it's awesome. But at the end of the day, it's a young man and young woman's sport. Indeed. So yeah, that is really, really cool. But you grow out then of you it. end up with the like the Peter Pan culture, which I think very much also exists in in Wildland, which is another part of the reason that I ended up kind of maybe thinking about leaving is because, you know, I'm gonna be honest, you know, alcoholism and three divorces is not exactly what I want my future to look like. And it's an all too common reality. Yeah. Well, you know, you live half the year completely disconnected from everyone, your life and family, even yourself as a person, you know, you become a different person. Yeah. And, and you're really devoted to one aspect of yourself and then you come out of that and you lose, you know, some of those crew bonds and your sense of purpose and you get kind of lost for a little while and then you kind of fall into some sybarite pleasure seeking you know, nightmare, self-soothing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're like, you know, you're just in this endless loop of why am I not adulting? I'm way too old to still be doing this. It's funny. You should mention that. It's like the, the, I think it's even more than that. I think it's just an adventure seeking and like th- just a thrill seeking lifestyle. We're adrenaline junkies at the end of the day. And Shannon even talked Shannon and I talked about this on our last episode that we did. And uh, yeah, we always resort to drinking, fucking and fighting in the wintertime because we don't have anything else better to do. Which is what we were also doing during fire season, but now we don't have fires. <laughs> well, I guess it was drinking, fucking and fighting in different ways. You're fighting the fire and yeah, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. But yeah, no, they were talking about that in class today. Like how um, apparently people with ADHD are specifically drawn to wildland fire because of the uh the activity level and things like that but that's first responders in general yeah doesn't matter if it's ems fire police but it's not just that it's it's people basically who tend to be very action action oriented pleasure seeking um impulsive need to be stimulated constantly like all that kind of stuff those people are drawn to this line of work so then when you take that away they channel into typically self-destructive things. yeah when you when you take the you know the more 
constructive form of that away, which is work, then, you know, you dive off into some, some really rad off seasons, but yeah, I mean, but it was fun when I was a younger man. I mean, I was definitely having a lot of fun doing that. Um, would I have changed anything? Hell no. I had a great damn time, but unfortunately that Peter Pan yeah. thing. Yeah. The never, never land. Well, I had to grow up cause I wanted to, I made that decision consciously. Well, yeah. I mean, as did I, like there was a point when I looked at myself and, and it seemed totally normal to me, but as a 41 year old woman with two adult children, I had to be like, is this the way that, uh, an adult woman behaves in American society or no, you know, I was like, Meh. I mean, it was fun though, right? It still is, but yes. digression. Yeah. I mean, that whole, the it's a, it's a culture, it's a lifestyle. And I think that's something that's wildly expressed on this podcast in pretty much every episode is that we have a, a very purpose-driven adventure-seeking diehard attitude culture. We're almost like, not necessarily sycophants, but fanatical in its own regard. It's a cult. It is, it is a cult. And it doesn't matter what color pants you're wearing either. Because I guarantee you structure fighters, firefighters are the same damn way. Eh. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, certain structure firefighters. I guess it's, it's I, I guess it's a. Uh, they just don't get to different. do it that often, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's just a different culture, I guess. It's the same same roots or way of doing business, I guess you could say just, just in a different context. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. There is a life outside of federal service though. That's for damn sure. It is. And, uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely not saying people should leave federal service. Mm -hmm. I think it was one of the best experiences that I've ever had. I do miss it to a huge degree, but this was the right decision for me. And I have noticed in a couple of people that I've talked to, like in hiring and stuff, like some of the people that I've worked with before that I've reached out to, yeah, there's a little bit of a head of hesitation to leave federal service. Um, and I, and I totally get it. I totally understand. But it I too. think a lot of it is, is just because we totally believe that people that don't work for our agency aren't as good as us and we don't know what else is out there. I can hundred percent agree with that. And even beyond fire, I mean, shit, I got I'm in marketing. I'm a director of marketing for a, a company. I'm like the honcho of marketing. I'm probably one of the youngest people to do that in my industry, but it doesn't even have to be fire. You can do anything. And think about it, like for everybody listening, think about the skills and relationships and the things that you've learned over the course of your career thus far. You are the jack of all trades. You are fucking MacGyver pretty much anything you want to do. So if you're good at something and you happen to have that drive that fire has instilled in you inherently, go do it. I'm not saying leave it. If you like where you're at, don't leave, but there's a wide variety of things outside of just fire in general. It's really hard, you know, to think of ever doing something like outside of fire. Like I've tried to picture myself in an office before and I really can't do it. it. Sucks. Like it's really it I'm not going to lie. It sucks. <laughs> But, you Talk know, about, just the ability ugh. to think that like, okay, here's my plan. No matter how, no matter what goes wrong, I will vary and I will tailor my plan so that I'm still successful. It doesn't matter what happens. Like just continuing after a goal, no matter what, like it's something that fire teaches you that you can apply to anything. 
hundred percent. doesn't matter if you want to be an arborist or a municipal firefighter or county or whatever marketing. Don't know if you want to like, I don't know, do woodworking and sell shit on Etsy. I mean, you're probably going to be pretty good at it if you stay motivated. As long as it doesn't involve being socially appropriate with the public that often, probably. Yeah. Construction it is. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, there's a multitude of things out there. There's it's the world is your oyster and uh, yeah, go forth and conquer. I mean, that's, that's, I guess at the end of the day, but aside from that, what about your mental health game? Like coming from fed service and doing that concentrated repeated trauma and then the, the drinking, fucking and fighting in the winter for years after years, you know, I mean, how has your mental health status changed? You know, actually it's been, uh, this is probably not the answer you were expecting. It has been a weird, weird year because it's my first year away from that. Mm-hmm. And I think just having like forestalled for several years, uh, having a real life, close relationships with people, um, really investing in anything long-term because before, I mean, you're only there for a temporary basis, short-term. There's a lot of like, you know, vignettes of, of interactions with human beings. Like you don't have to form a real and lasting relationship and, and real communication and see the aftermath of, you know, maybe some of the things that you do just having to then reconnect with real life and really truly step back into society was a little overwhelming for me at first. Hmm. Um, I didn't handle it all that well, or at least there was things that came up that surprised me. Um, but overall I think it was good. I didn't experience that like weird little lull of depression that you get after, um, the end of the season, which kind of, for some reason seemed like it was getting a little bit worse and a little bit worse every year. Oh yeah. Um, in retrospect, it was every year was worse than the previous. Yeah. At first I didn't know what people were talking about and then it would just get a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. Yeah. Um, I don't have that anymore. I'm in my life most of the time, but reconnecting with a real life, it was like using an atrophied muscle. It was very strange for a while, but I do feel like I'm starting to get past that, but it is weird to not be, um, only superficially involved in your own life. And then to step back into it. That speaks volumes. That speaks volumes right there because superficially involved, not in other people's lives, but your own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a self-reflection on me, even Jesus Christ. You know, <laughs> in retrospect. It was, it was something that I wasn't, I, I didn't expect at all. It snuck up on me. Um, it was kind of weird for a while, but you know, it's it's kind of is like having a muscle cramp, I guess, of something that you haven't used in a while and then it kind of goes away. But I'm getting used to it. But it was really, really strange. It's almost like culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially because you don't see it coming. You think you can just jump back in like you did every off season. You know, you jump off the merry-go-round and you show back up to your family. And you're like, hey, I'm here. And hey, like, guys. Who the fuck are you? Yeah. You know, but. Yeah, that's that's one thing that's I mean, I, I think the the consequence or not the consequence. I think that another reason that I guess that, uh, depression and that reconnection and all that shit, those negatives of seasonal work, and that's not just exclusive to the feds. I mean, that's contractors, mm-hmm. state, anybody who's a seasonal firefighter, typically you're going to experience that. I think we don't front load the harsh truths up front, like in the beginning of the season or when you start your career to explain this stuff and give them the tools or the point them in the right direction. It's like, Hey, if you start noticing this shit happening, 
go this direction. Yeah. It's going to help you in the long run. Trust it. Trust me, the, the salty old FMO or BC or whatever. I think we need to start front loading that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I heard about it until a couple of seasons in at all. Um, you know, about this like nebulous, you know, a little bit of, you know, the blues that you get after season and you don't really know what it is. And it's like, Hey kids, um, when you feel kind of weird and empty because you don't have a purpose and you're away from the people that you've bonded with, don't maybe drink all day. <laughs> or sit on your ass and play video games yeah. and do nothing with the shades closed. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I think that people are becoming more vocal about these issues. And I think that they're not necessarily taking notes per se from these municipal departments or these county or whoever with like an EAP program and that are aware of this whole seasonal depression thing, especially for first responders, I think people are being more vocal about it and they're saying shit. So now it's actually changing. I think people are starting to identify exactly what is, what it is that's causing it. Cause for a long time I would hear about some of the stuff and I would think, well, that applies to structure firefighters more. I mean, they are responding to a lot more like accidents and medicals and yeah. seeing more traumatic things. I mean, like I don't feel Trump like no offense to anybody. I don't feel traumatized necessarily when I see trees burn. And there's not that many times that I've seen people, you know, that I work with, you know, in a great deal of danger. So that kind of trauma, I didn't incur on a very regular basis, but that it's a different thing. It's not trauma. It's just like the stress of going from the thing where you feel like you have purpose, the place where you feel like you belong, and then just feeling like you're cut off from that and you just exist and you don't know who you are anymore. Mm -hmm. And then going back and forth between that fairly frequently. The 110% to reverse. Yeah. Constantly. It's like getting back and forth between, you know, the pool and the hot tub, the pool and the hot tub and pretty soon you pass out. Yeah. Huh. I could see that, but I think that it's still a, uh, I mean, everybody says PTSD, which is inaccurate, right? It's PTSI. It's post-traumatic stress injury, right? What's the common thing there, right? Stress. You just said it yourself, yourself, right? Yeah. It's stress that still develops into a complex PTSI. Now, if it develops into a disorder, which is a diagnosable thing, mm -hmm. now we've got serious problems. I mean, you can nip that problem in the bud, but it's not until now that we're talking about this shit and we need to keep talking about it because you can't really escape it or if you're working for someone who doesn't want to hear about your problems, well, it's probably somebody that you don't want to be working with. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that, I mean, if you can't talk about it with the people on your crew, who can you talk about it with? Yeah. Cause if you, if I were to tell the shit that I've experienced to my wife, she wouldn't understand. She has no frame of reference. I, I've tried. I've tried talking about it to various members of my family. They're like, well, aren't you just glad to be home? Like, well, yeah, I, <laughs> I think. I mean, I am. <laughs> Is that a question? But also, I can't wait to go back to work. No offense. I don't want to be here anymore. Well, I mean, to look at that, too. I mean, uh, with the going home and sleeping in your own bed every night versus fucking off in the woods for two weeks at a time, you that was your escape. So it becomes an yeah. addiction that you're chasing, right? So I know a lot of men and women out there listening to this, they're going to realize exactly what I'm saying. You don't want to deal with the bullshit at home. And when you're here every freaking night and you don't have a healthy outlet to get the, the shit out of your chest or talk about stuff or just like kind of escape, well, 
guess what? You're going to want to go back to work sooner. You're going to want to go back to those two week, three week roles with two days off and then back out. It's very weird to realize that the small stresses of dealing with family life are much more difficult for you than fighting, you know, a forest fire. Yep. Well, I mean, you were, you were there, you were out with our crew. My son got a traumatic brain injury while I was out there and they were like, do you want to go home? And I was like, no, I'm not a doctor. There's nothing I can do. I want to stay where I'm at because it's a lot easier to do what you're doing and deal with those things in front of you than deal with the stuff at home that you can't fix, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, The professional problem solver can't fix this problem. So they get pissed. Yeah. Yeah. Those are things that you can't affect. I can affect the things in front of me. And I feel, I, I feel like I'm making traction here when I get home. There's this, you know, wider range of silly things that I feel like I should be able to take care of and I can't and it's frustrating and then I don't want to be there and then I feel guilty that I don't want to be there. Oh yeah. I mean, it's even like this simple stresses of like, Hmm, what am I going to cook for dinner? It's like, um, I just had fire camp food for the last three weeks and now I have to make another, I have to make a decision, like a simple decision. Well, I wouldn't know about that, Brandon. I was on a hell attack crew. We bought groceries. Oh, here we go. <laughs> the privileged hell attack life. Not as quite as privileged as Cal Fire. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> just, I got nothing but love for you, Cal Fire folks. But I mean, shit, even then, I mean, even the Cal Fire folks, they deal with the same shit that we do yeah. at the end of the day. Same traumas, same stupid shit that we have to deal with at home that becomes so mundane and boring and you can't really fix it. And it's not like exciting enough for you to even want to put effort into it. I get it. I get it. It's much more easy to fight a raging forest fire. It really is. And it's hard to explain to somebody why that is your, you know, your happy place, your comfort zone. And then trying to figure out why your 17 year old won't do his homework is just too much for you and you can't handle it and you want to leave, you know, but healthy, healthy outlets. And I think that's one thing that Shannon and Dr. O's and Danny Snedden close the gap wellness. I'm giving you a shout out right now. I think those are all the people that have like walked that walk or have experienced enough people within these, these fields. Cause it's real, real fucking similar to EMS LEO, military, structure fire, wildland fire. It's all the same, or it's like different flavors of ice cream in the same bowl. Mm-hmm. It's all the same shit. So finding those healthy outlets and not trying to use your work as escapism from the mundane bullshit that's going on in your house. I think that's one of those things that we need to be cognizant of. Or not finding your identity in your job. You are that's not. That's a huge trap that I fell into. Do. Yeah. You know, and and it's hard because it is so much of its own culture that is so, I mean, a lot of people don't even know that wildland firefighters exist. They have no idea what we do. And it's such an entrenched culture that uh, in a lot of ways, it's very easy to like lose yourself and identify with being a wildland firefighter, but that is not who you are. No, it doesn't define you. you. Don't let it define you. Like I accountants don't identify as being accountants. Dentists don't identify as being dentists. That's what they do. Yeah. You know, and they vary from person to person. They have all their different things, but uh, it's really easy to drink that Kool-Aid. And I think it's an all too common trap, especially when you're young, impressionable and just full of piss and vinegar and you come into this career. doesn't matter if you're 
man, woman, whatever. Everybody drinks that same Kool-Aid and they're drinking it from a fire hose. All at once, it's a real easy trap to fall into. I know that I defined myself as a human, as a firefighter for like the longest time. And I'm like, let's reel it back here. Well, and then it's also hard because several of us do look quasi homeless most of the time, (laughs) you know, maybe, you know, questionable habits and social. um, It's part of the culture though. But when you meet somebody, they say, thank you for your service and you get respected for something and you're like, that's weird because I'm not that respectable a human being, but you know, so you start to identify with this one thing that makes you feel like you're doing something worthwhile. Yeah. Little do these people that are thanking you or trying to buy you Starbucks or whatever, little do they know that you're, you know, digging holes in the dirt in the middle of nowhere with 20 of your best friends making fart and dick jokes. <laughs> That's what you're doing at the end of the day. So, I don't know. It's, it's like this weird disconnect, though. I think it's like, it's like you're, you're almost living a lie sometimes. Yes and no. I mean, definitely forest fires are something that, you know, people are nervous about and you're going out there and you're taking care of it and they really appreciate that because they don't want to do it and all that. But, you know, if they, if they knew, I guess probably, um, how entirely ridiculous that we are sometimes they would probably yeah, maybe offer us a few less free Starbucks, but that's, that's the, thing, the type though. of person it takes to get that job done. Yeah, it does. It takes a hearty bunch. And I think it takes a uh, certain type of individual that's very get shit done. And I'm not saying that we're a bunch of, you know, raging alcoholic hooligans. I mean, oh, just some of us, we do respectable work. We do, I guess we do work. That's really un, I don't even know what to really put into context. I guess it's, it's unrecognized really. Yeah. Except for sans a few people that truly understand what it is. So they thank you. But at the end of the day, I mean, have we done some questionable shit? Yeah, probably. But at the same time, I mean, that's really expandable. Like you can meet some people who can have fun with the best of them, but when it's time to be serious, you know, there's people who know a lot about fire and they can make oh, yeah. a lot of really good decisions really, really fast. And there are some incredible, you know, kind of a combination of like, maybe even like, like a sports and business mentality coming together to really attack a problem that not very many people will be able to handle. And there's people that rise to that occasion. They really do. Um, you know, and then there's, you know, some people who are still just working neck down, but there's some people who definitely fall outside of a, uh, you know, an alcoholic hooligan model, or at least when, when it matters. Yeah. And that's, that's, I guess the point that I'm trying to get at is like, we do commendable things. However, I mean, everybody's got, they're true, not necessarily a true person, but they like to let it out every once in a while. And that's just anybody. I'm not trying to say that we're villains by any, any means, but circling back around to the fact that I left Fed service. So now in these county crews, you know, you're in a community. Yeah. And uh, you know, you're out there with these people more and, and they put you out there more, you know, like on your truck in the parade or you go talk to the kids at the camp or whatever. And I'm like, before I get in my truck, don't cuss. Don't, <laughs> don't swear. Don't swear. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've I had this conversation with my chief a couple of times. I'm like, we are not the people that you put out in public. Like, like these are not, these are not the, the shiny pennies that you want to show to the community. Like 
you know, we'll put in all the fuel breaks and everything you want, but like we might not be the most socially appropriate for all of these venues. But to be honest, they've all done really, really well. Nobody's let me down yet. That's good. <laughs> it's like coming back from a, a two week whirl and you're like in a restaurant, you're like, oh, this is a fork napkin. How do we use this? <laughs> Cavemen and women. <laughs> I still struggle with that. I wear most of my food on a regular basis. Yeah. We all got to eat. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't understand where the disconnect becomes though. It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting culture and yeah, they're good people. Very, very good people. Some of the most solid people that I've ever met. Are we a little wild? Absolutely. Well, okay. It's like brain surgeons. You know, people are always like, oh, well, they're super egotistical. Well, they have to be to do what they do, don't they? Yeah. You have to have confidence in yeah. what you're doing. You're doing surgery on a brain. Yeah. Not a very. It takes, yeah. it takes an egotistical person to be a brain surgeon. That's the type of person it takes to want to hack into someone's brain. Or a brain. lawyer. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's wild. Different walks. Same stuff. Yeah. I don't know. So there is life outside of federal service. But a lot of people are are thinking about jumping ship, but there's a lot of fear factor involved with it. Let's let's expand on that. There is. There's also a lot of hope. Like, to be honest, one of the things that I hear a lot is like a lot of the stuff that you guys are doing in your movement. Like there's a lot of hope. That things are about to change. Yeah. And people want to wait it out and they want to see if it's going to change, which I think is really, really great. Yeah. Um, but there is also some of it is just fear of leaving the federal service, which I, it's comfortable. Yeah. I experienced it's a large organization and you feel like you're a part of something that, you know, is very permanent. Isn't going to change a whole lot, you know, and there that's comforting. And I think very much people feel like when they came up in that organization, that organization is the best and they don't want to leave it. They have a type of loyalty to it. Um, and it, I think that they should, but for some people, there are other options out there and they're not illegitimate. You know, if, if that's the thing, especially if, like if you're married and you have young children or whatever, and you, you, you know, you might want to be home, you know, maybe half the time or something <laughs> like that. Or maybe you're over 37 and when you're old, you don't want to eat cat food because you don't have a retirement. You know, there are options out there and they're, they're pretty good. It's worked out well for me. I happen to have fallen into the right position where I have a fantastic boss. I have a lot of support. We have fantastic funding. And in some ways I feel like I'm a kid in a candy store. Um, but it has been interesting when talking to people about hiring, like to just kind of see the hesitation in their eyes and hear it in their voice because they don't feel like there's anything outside of fed service. It's a big world out there. And unfortunately with a career like this, you have to be an opportunist. You have to. Well, I mean, people told me my whole career coming up in the forest service, like, you know, when it comes to getting assignments or, you know, pushing people to, you know, to sign your taskbook and stuff like you have to look up out for yourself and your career because nobody else is going to do it for oh, you. Oh, hundred percent. Like if, if, if you're waiting for, you know, to feel like you're the most qualified before you let somebody sign you off or whatever, whatever. You have to fight for your opportunities. You have to take the things that work for you the most because nobody else is going to do it for you. Yeah. You know, this is not the time to be, um, you know, a wallflower. But. There's a lot of hungry people out there too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
not being necessarily shameless about it and like i mean pimping yourself out to every opportunity that you can lay your hands on but unfortunately at the end of the day that's what's going to move you up in the chain right yeah getting that experience getting those quals getting that ink in your task book all of those things the classes even which it's hard to get classes maybe not for you but not anymore yeah but could uh, you imagine uh like i don't know i i, I could only assume that certain contracting outfits they're got to be pining for classes yeah so i've taken i think four or five classes this off season only one time have i had one contractor in there with me really uh, yeah uh just really cool interesting highly educated interesting dude from south america but yeah he was the only one uh, only contractor that we had in any of the classes with us um it was almost all it was almost all forest service and there was a, a couple other agencies throughout there um over here in Reno, there's a little bit more NDF in the classes and stuff too. But over yeah. in Provo, like it's it's mostly Forest Service. But I remember, you know, maybe you'd get one class a year, you know, if you're lucky. If you're not a perm, you know, like maybe you get one a year. As, as, you Should know, even as a perm. If you're a perm, maybe you'll get two. Um, but then in these in these smaller agencies literally like them counting on you like you're the person that they picked for this job and they're willing to give you an unlimited amount of support you know to get where you want to go in your job so they gave me a schedule and they said what do you want to do he just started throwing darts at classes yeah and i didn't even i didn't even take as many as as some of the people that i work with because i didn't want to be that busy but it was just you know carte blanche to obtain as many quals and like get as much information as you possibly can. And it's, it's wild. Like the funding is, that is one of the biggest differences from coming to, from federal service. Of like if something doesn't work, you get one that does maybe two. And it's just insane. Two is one. You know, like what our pumps work. That's crazy. Like your Mark threes just start right up. That's wild. Wait, 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 wait. hold on. <laughs> I think I heard you the first time. <laughs> You say your Mark three pumps work the first time. Yeah. But anyway. Huh. That's a concept. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> think that those existed. I thought it was just a thing. Like, it's like a unicorn. Yeah. Like uh, across the board, they don't, they don't work the first time, but apparently they do. Yeah. There's definitely some benefits for both sides, I guess, of the argument there. Um, whether fed or you know, a smaller municipal or even a larger municipal or county or state or whatever. I mean, it's all got its drawbacks. It's, it's, it does. I, it's just finding it's the right got, it's place. It's all, all got its pluses as well. And I think the more, the more people that have come over, the more it's going to be a little bit more integrated between everybody because you're going to run into people that you know, you know, oh, stuff yeah. like that. And, and the, you know, the unfamiliarity is going to, kind of start to blur a little bit. And I think that those things are going to go away. But for now, you know, it's just kind of strange to feel like you actually have to talk people into maybe taking a decision, like taking an option that might be better for them. And it's not for everybody, but it is for some people. Yeah, but I get it, man. If you're, if, especially with this whole grassroots movement, which uh, disclosure here, I'm a board member of grassroots. So full disclosure that I'm simping for the brand, but it's part partially my doing anyways, uh, the whole grassroots thing. And if, if you're holding out for grassroots, kudos to you because there's a lot of uncertainty with it. People are hopeful though, which 
I think it's going to happen. I honestly yeah. do. I'm I'm hopeful for it. That's the thing. I'm like, not even. I'm far removed from fire. I've talked I'm working to on my dad. A couple bond. people, and they were like, they're legitimately hopeful. I think for the first time in a while mm-hmm. that you know maybe this will turn into an adult gig for them. You know. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. And that's another thing too. I mean, there's so many little things that are going on with grassroots, and a lot of them I can't talk about. Um. Some of them I can. I mean, we got Tim's act coming up. That's going to be huge infrastructure. We had to fight tooth and nail for infrastructure. And there's a lot of questions regarding like the pay, the $20,000 bonus, all that stuff, the mental health thing, all of that, right? The infrastructure bill was meant to be like a bandaid on an arterial wound, right? This thing, this patient is bleeding to death, obviously with the attrition rates that we're seeing. Uh, people jumping from fed service to something, something like you're in uh-huh. county or state or whatever. And uh, Tim's act's going to be that tourniquet, the long-term care, the definitive care of that whole scenario. Is there a lot of politics involved with it? Yes. It's inherently going to be a lot of politics in it because you're working for, if that's the avenue that you need to take to get it, you to have out, to, you have so to, be it. this is a federal system. There is a lot of gears of bureaucracy working here and there's multiple agencies working together trying to come to a common goal. And I would never in a million years in my entire life anticipate all of them working together to make this shit happen because they realize it has to happen or else there's not going to be a federal firefighting workforce. Well, it's, it's becoming a you know a little bit of an endangered species like so many people are leaving and people still have to do this job yeah you know and we're not a community that says hey somebody needs to take care of us but at a certain point like you don't have to take care of us but you do have to help us out like help help us help ourselves a little bit you know yeah so one thing that concerns me about if this thing doesn't for some reason go through is the future not because of the people that are already in leaving because of the fact that we're not getting new people. That's what concerns me the most. Like if you're 10 years in, what's another 10 years on your retirement, especially if you're a perm, right? If you're 10 years in, you're probably not going anywhere. What else are you going to do? Well, I'm talking about perms that are 10 years in, right? You might as well stick it out and get your retirement. There's a lot of opportunity to move up in 10 years. Your high three might be pretty damn good at that point. The problem is, is your... GS fives and sixes, your up and comer leadership, they're going to bolt. If they haven't, they're not going to stay. And then even worse, you don't have a future. You're not having people apply because they realize they can make more at Burger King than they can risking their lives. Doing arguably the funnest thing in the entire world, fighting fire. It's great. One of the greatest jobs I've ever had. It is the greatest job I've ever had. Hands down. However, would I do this shit for $15 an hour? Not a chance. Knowing what I do now. I get it. And that's why organizations like Grassroots exist. Because they have to. They're trying to save a legacy. That's where... um, Like for me in my hiring, I've had a hard time getting people coming at the squad bus level over from the federal service because they don't want to leave Mm. where I have had a lot of uh, those holdouts we were talking about for infrastructure and Tim's act. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where it has been different for, for me on my side is that 
I can get a lot of first year firefighters because we have a pathway to structure. Like when they come and work for us, they also get their EMT, they get at their exterior support and all of these things. So, you know, the, and that's the hiring pool that the all risk guys draw from. They hire from our crew. So like this is a pathway for them, you know, to move on to that, which is it's hard to get your foot in the door over in structure. So a lot of kids who want to do that grow up wanting to be, you know, a firefighter air quotes. Yeah. Um, they want to start out in wildland because it's kind of like the paying your dues part of the process. And then there's a way for them to move over from there. But the problem is for straight wildland, how do you get those kids to come in and then stay long enough so that, you know, in X number of years, you know, we have our AFOs and, you know, things like that that are still around because yeah, your central little, leadership. Yeah. It's tough. And honestly, I, I, I I don't know where it's going to go. I've had a crystal ball, I'd tell you, but some things need to change. And who's to say, like you just used the the term real firefighter, right? The uh -huh. phrase real firefighter, like structure or whatever. Why aren't wildland firefighters considered real firefighters? I don't know, but the, like there really is in on every level still the stigma of like, you know, if you're the wildland crew, then you, you know, do the the leftover maintenance and facilities and you, you know, you're the you scrub shitters in the off season. Yeah, you're the grunts. Yeah, you know, and the other guys, you know, those are those are the shiny firefighters that you know you trot out to the public and they sit around until there's a you know house burning down or whatever. Not talking crap on those guys, they're great, but you know, there's very much still the stigma of like um, we're a little bit like you know the the roughnecks, I guess. Uh, we're a little bit of a surly bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were talking about, but rough around the edges. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's one thing that needs to change is that dynamic is like being perceived as a firefighter, a real firefighter air quotes here. Yeah. Not a forestry technician. Yeah. Or an unskilled laborer. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing, like when we were talking about all the other jobs that a firefighter could go into, it's like, of course you could. How many times have you been asked to do some very, very, very strange job that you should have training to do that you have no training to do? But you figured it out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're like trying to figure out how to cut holes in a Quonset hut so you can put windows in there that don't fit. And you're like, I don't know how to do this, <laughs> but the Forest Service wants me to. So here I am. Professional problem solvers, right? You're like, oh, put in a sprinkler system? Sure. All right. Okay. Uh, replace a hose on a turbo. All right. I can figure it out. Whatever. Scraping lead-based paint. Yeah. Asbestos work. Yeah. Needs of Uncle Sam. But yeah. I'm like, isn't this isn't this the kind of job that you have to like know what you're doing to do it? No? <laughs> I think there's like a, like, I don't know, like probably like an eight hour training course or something like that. You, you guys are good. Okay, cool. I mean, I'll figure <laughs> it out. But yeah, but think of it like, like you just said it yourselves. I mean, professional problems, problem solvers. Yeah. I mean, think of all the crap that we've done over the course of your career or you will do if you stick in this long enough and you have a dangerous human. You have a whole group of people who don't say, I can't. No, you don't. Absolutely. You don't. Yeah. That well, as in you don't have a group of people that say that I cannot do this. I mean, they can. Yeah, you're like, okay, I'll figure, well, it out. I'll figure it out. I'll work it out. 
Yeah. I don't know. As far as uh, going into that leap though, making that leap. I mean, if you had any advice to anybody who's listening, like if, if something's calling them to make the jump to something different, what would you say to them? Look at what it is that you feel like you're missing from where you're at and look at what they're offering in some of these other platforms and see if that's the right thing for you. Yeah. Um, you're not going to become less legitimate. You're not going to see less fire, you know, for, for some people, I don't think it's the right move because there is so much awesome like camaraderie and history established in Fed service. But for some of for some people, what you probably need, maybe you don't want, but what you probably need to make that leap into your more functional adult life may lie outside of Fed service. Just evaluate your options. Yeah. Make the best decision that is going to work for you at the end of the day. Nobody else is looking out for your future. You have to do it. No. I mean, there are some soups out there or some crew uh, leaders. Mine did. Yeah. And I was really, really lucky, but I think I worked for maybe one of the smartest, most magical unicorns in the Forest Service. <laughs> and he totally didn't, you know, he, he encouraged me to do it. Um, but more often than not, you're going to have to look at your life and see what you need and see what's right for you. And it might not be federal. And there's nothing wrong with that. 100%. Two people in the same room. We did it. You suck and you. Hey. <laughs> oh, well, I think there's some pretty good points in this episode. But at the end of the episode, I always like to give you the opportunity to give a shout out to some homies, heroes, mentors. Who you got for us? Okay. Jamie Strelick, Eric Newell. Joe Lamberg, thank you for hiring me initially. Uh, everybody I work with in Elko County, uh, Matt Peterson, David Metz, Mickey Newman, and Hunter Tracy. Um, and one very special mentor I've had in fire whose name I shall not say because she is incredibly media shy. But I know who that is. Six foot tall, ex-hotshot woman. Yep, she's Shout rad. Yeah. She's super rad. I actually just ran into her at Home Depot. <laughs> Uh, not too long ago, but yeah, shout out to her as well. Hero forever. She's rad. Yes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, take some advice. We're not shitting on the forest service. We're not shitting on federal service. We're not shitting on Cal fire or any other place. Just do what makes sense. Do what's right. Hey, look at that. We'll just tie this all back into federal service. Do what's right <laughs> for yourself because no one else is going to do it. So thanks for listening, Monica. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Right on, guys. See ya. And boom. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good friend, Monica Tanner. Monica, homie, thank you so much for coming on the show and saying your two cents about leaving federal service. I think it's important uh, that folks hear this message because... It is a decision whether or not uh, you may or may not stay in federal service. And I think a lot of folks out there need to hear this message. And a lot of people kind of kind of come to terms with this whole decision making process of leaving the feds. It's not for everybody. I'm not going to say that, hey, you know, there is uh, a better life for everyone out there. But you know what? 
you're all firefighters. You all can do amazing stuff and you're a jack of all trades and you can do pretty much anything you put your mind to. So if leaving federal service might be for you, I hope that this uh, episode rang, <laughs> rang true to you and I uh, hope you got a little bit of advice out of it. Monica, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, you have left federal service. I have left federal service. I know a lot of other people have left federal service. And yeah, it's not intended to be a uh, total taking a dump or thumbing my nose, our noses to the feds at all. But hey, you know what? You got to make decisions. And sometimes those decisions are hard. And yeah, you got to make them for you because no one else make them for yourself because no one else is going to make them for you. That being said, I hope everybody's doing well. And let's give a special shout out to our sponsors. Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out their full line of load-bearing essentials. We've got Hot Shop Brewing. Oh, yeah. Kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out. We've got the ass movement. My buddy Boo's over there. He is spreading the good word about bearing your turds and has the finest poo-bearing propaganda to offer all of humanity. So go to www.thefirewild.com and check it out. And last but not least, we have the Smoke Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. And if you want to check it out, go to www.wildfireexperience.org and see the full catalog. Y'all know the drill. Stay safe, stay savage, peace.